You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Morning. I mean, it was crazy enough to go to Hickory yesterday. pulled over there as we were pulling by the mall, not to the mall just yet. My wife, you know, thought we were going late enough in the day, late enough in the evening, and uh, it looked like a sea of cars, uh, all you could see. Uh, looked like one year we'll learn our lesson and do it early enough <laughs> that we don't uh, get impacted by that. <clears throat> we're doing a series that we call Christmas Family. Uh, this month, and um, I've kind of had two main goals in this series. One is every week I want to point out to you by looking at some verses in the Bible how vital, how important the virgin birth of Jesus really is. And then the second main goal is for us to look at the characters and what's taking place in the Christmas story in a practical way and try and learn some lessons for our own lives as families. Because we can definitely see a family scenario, family issues and concerns taking place as we look at the Christmas story. I want you to notice what Hebrews tells us. We're going to look at a few more verses than uh, we have these other weeks just to uh, help us see how important, how vital, how, how hugely strategic it is that Jesus was virgin born. We've been in Hebrews 10 and looked at one verse there already, but I want you to look at several verses, then I'm going to move on we'll get into the main part of the message. It says the law is only a shadow of good things that are coming. In other words, all the sacrifices and things that you see taking place in the Old Testament, those are pictures of what would happen, that Jesus would come. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Because if it did completely make us perfect... It said, if it could, would not they have stopped being offered? Why keep having the sacrifices? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering... You did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God, the Son talking to the Father. First he says, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor Were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made? Then he said, here am I, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And you see how important the virgin birth of Jesus is. Because he came as the perfect sacrifice. That's what Christmas is about. I mean, we get all, you know, warm, cuddly feelings about a baby in a manger and singing songs like Silent Night. But the reality of it is this. He came to grow up, to go to a cross, and shed his blood as the ultimate, only sufficient sacrifice for our sin once and for all, and now when we believe in him, once and for all, we're made holy. Strategic that he's virgin born. 
So each week I just wanted us to focus on that because we live in a culture that likes to doubt things, especially if we cannot explain it scientifically or medically. And, you know, people will say, well, how in the world can a virgin birth take place? Well, like the angel told Mary, with God there's not anything impossible. With God all things are possible. Like I said, we're doing this series mainly to try to focus on some family issues. Because as we look at the Christmas story, there's a multitude of situations that arise that really beg to kind of be dealt with in a practical way also. We've already looked at Mary when she received the message that she, as the virgin, was going to have Jesus, God's son. And I guarantee you, people, if you think about it, Their culture, probably not a lot different than ours in some ways because of human nature. And when it first started to slip out that Mary was expecting, and yet, you know, she was not married yet, I bet the first thing people thought was, yes, she's having God's son. That's what happened. You know the way some of the thoughts would have gone. So there are all kinds of practical issues. Last week, we looked at the theme of jealousy because you could see how non-jealous Elizabeth was over the great news when Mary came and told her. And regrettably, we allow jealousy to creep into our lives, even at Christmas time, over who gets what, how many Christmas gifts under the tree, all kinds of reasons why we can get jealous. Today, our theme is this. We're going to talk about a worshiping family. What led me in the direction of talking about family at Christmas is because family time happens a lot at Christmas. We do a ton of stuff together, whether it be to decorate the house, decorate the tree, go pick the tree out, go buy gifts, have meals, whatever the case is. There's a lot of family activity that takes place at Christmas. So it's kind of an opportune time for us to also look at the Christmas story and try and learn some practical lessons. So we do all kinds of things as a family at Christmas. Why not worship together? Hey, matter of fact, not just at Christmas time, why not be worshiping families all year long? Now, someone might come up with an excuse and say, well, you know, I can't really be a worshiping family because all my family, we we don't all go to the same church. If you ever figure this out, you don't have to be at what we call a church building to worship. We we need to have worshiping families, not just when we're in a place like this. Our home environment and the way we raise our kids ought to involve being worshiping families also. So what we're going to do today is look at, at three characters. We're going to look at a mother, which is Mary, and see how she worships in this story that we call the Christmas story. We're going to look at a father, not Joseph, but instead we're going to look at Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, and see how he worships here in the Christmas story, and maybe learn some lessons how we as fathers need to set an example in worship. And then we're going to look at a child. And how God uses a child, John the Baptist, to help kind of pave the way for Jesus. Because all of us ought to be involved in that type of activity. We ought to be paving the way for Jesus Christ into the hearts of other people. So let's think about this for a minute, about how we can learn some lessons about being families that worship together or or worshiping families. First thing I want you to notice, first blank in your notes this morning is this. This mother, Mary, that we have here, there's a mother's song of praise that she gives forth. And a mother's song of praise ought to provoke us to becoming or being worshiping families. This passage that I'm reading, people actually call it Mary's song. Because what happens in response to the news that she's been given... And I think even maybe in response to the way Elizabeth received it, we actually read these verses last week. I didn't really expound on them very much because I knew I was going to do it today. 
But, but Mary breaks forth in, in just this course of praise because of what God is doing through her life. Look, look at what she says here. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. She's just filled up with what God's doing in her life. And she sings out this chorus of praise. And as I read this passage, I thought to myself, How much would families be impacted in our day and time if they were to hear more mothers in our day and time give this type of praise to God? If mothers before their children, if mothers in family environments would be filled up with what God is doing in their life and communicate it clearly like Mary does here, how much would that impact our families in this day and time? I want us to break down those verses and just pull some things out of this that, uh, that Mary uh, does. First of all, you've got a picture of a mother whose worship glorifies the Lord. It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. She had had great news given her. News that God himself was going to move upon her. News that she was going to bring the Messiah into the world. News that she was giving birth to God's son. And she just glorifies God. She opens her mouth and she says, my soul glorifies God. The word for glorifies that's used there means to make or declare great. Now, you need to look at this in the right way because God is great whether we recognize him to be great or not. Amen. But at the same time, you and I, by our actions, can portray him to be great. We can portray how wonderful he is, how great he is, even by the praise that we declare. And that's what Mary's doing here. She's glorifying God. The King James used it to translate the word enlarge or magnify or show great. The root word in the Greek is megos. Of course, we get our English word mega from it. And it simply means big. So we've got a picture of Mary through what she is saying, this song of praise, glorifying God. In other words, she has the goal of making God as big as she can make him. And that ought to be the goal we have in our lives. I mean, not just mothers, even though we have an example of a mother doing that here. We ought to have the goal of making God as huge, as big, as large as we can possibly make him before other people. Imagine the impact it would have, though, in a family setting and with children if there's a mother there who is constantly saying, look how big God is. You know, look how great God is. Look, look what God has done in my life, and I'm, I'm singing a song of praise to him. We also have a picture of this. We have a picture of a, of a mother who rejoices in her Savior. The Bible goes on and says, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Will you put that in, in the immediate context that she said it? She's giving praise for the Savior that she's going to carry in her womb. That's going to be born into the world. I mean, you talk about something hard to decipher and, and accept and put yourself in, in her shoes. She is there rejoicing in the Savior that's going to be born through herself. She's rejoicing in, in God because he's providing salvation. 
And the word for rejoice means this. It means to jump for joy, to exalt, to be exceeding glad, with exceeding joy. The root word means to jump, to gush, or to spring up. Now, I'm fighting off something right now because I didn't know how some of you would accept it. But I, I'm almost fighting up making everyone in this place stand up and jump up and down for a minute. <laughs> I mean, think about it. We get excited about everything else under the sun. We'll high-five each other and, you know, guys will chest bump and get all kinds of excited about, you know, some sporting event, some game taking place. Why don't we get that excited about what Jesus has done for us? And model it before our kids. Because if we're not careful, we'll make our kids think the sporting event is more significant and and happier and more important than what takes place at church. You know, doing the wave and everything else. We'll make them think going to a concert is the big thing instead of coming to have a concert of praise and worship God and focus on Him. If we're not careful, we'll set the wrong example because we get so excited about everything else under the sun except Jesus. Some of the same ones that get thrilled to death at the sporting event or the concert or a comedian or whatever it is they enjoy and make that look like that's the greatest thing under the sun will come and sit in church and look like their best friend just died. And the word here literally talks about expressing joy, to jump with joy. The root word means to jump or to, to gush. And sometimes we ought to be just like a, a spring of water that we just gush because we can't control ourselves. We, we gush because of what God has done for us. We, we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross and taking his life back up to purchase our eternal salvation, to pay for our sins. We ought to just gush, be like a spring that just springs up sometimes. You got a picture of that here, a mother rejoicing in her Savior because he's her deliverer that's delivering her from her sins. You also have a picture of this in Mary's song. You've got a picture of a mother who celebrates what God has done for her. Verse 48, in the first part of verse 49, says this, For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. She's giving full credit to God. Mary's not saying, look, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. She's nowhere near saying, I'm having the Savior because I'm so deserving. She's recognizing that she didn't deserve it at all. She's recognizing it's happening in her life because of the favor of God. God chose Mary by by his own grace, by his favor, in much the same way that he chooses us for salvation. It's by his favor. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because, you know, we've got credit that we've added to our account by good works. So God says, here, you're mine. God looked at her and she even said, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The word being mindful means to gaze at with favor, pity, or partiality. The the phrase humble state means depression or humiliation or be made low or even vile. That's what Mary is saying about herself. And yet she's saying, God has been mindful of me. God has shown pity toward me. He's gazed at me with favor, pity, or partiality. Can I ask you a question? Aren't you glad God operates like that? Aren't you glad that God looks at us with favor? Aren't you glad that God has pity for us? Aren't you glad that that God gazes at us with pity or partiality and out of his favor, out of his amazing grace, he recognized our humble state, our depression, our humiliation because of our sin, how low, how vile we are, and he, out of his favor and grace, sends his son into this world that through him we can have everlasting life. 
And what happens here is this mother, Mary, is celebrating this. She's celebrating what God has done. And we need to have that same activity in our lives before our families. We need to be celebrating what God has done. We never, ever need to let our kids think that we're Christians or we go to church because of who we are. We never, ever need to come across like I have reached down and pulled myself up by my bootstraps. No, it is God who reached down and pulled me up. It is God who has reached down and pulled you up by his grace. And we need to communicate that to our to our kids you also have a picture of this you have a mother who understands god is holy because in, in this song of praise she says holy is his name and the word holy means sacred pure consecrated different than all others could be a way to think of the word holy god's different than anyone else. He's separate from anything else. And here you have a mother recognizing that. Guys, I'm sorry this is true in our culture, and I'm even sorry it's true in a lot of our churches. But I'm afraid we have gone too far from recognizing the holiness of God. And we've turned God into our buddy instead of recognizing one day he's going to be our judge. We need to understand how holy and pure he is. We need to communicate that before our children. And this mother does it in praise. She's recognizing the holiness of God. I mean, thank God for his favor. Amen. She just talked about his favor. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that he is a God of love. But we can only clearly perceive his Love, how important that is, how significant it is. We can only really see his grace and his mercy in light of his holiness because if he's not holy, what does it matter that he gives us grace? But when we recognize that he's holy and he's perfect and we have no right to approach him whatsoever and yet he allows us to, that's what ought to cause us to celebrate his grace because of his holiness. also a mother that understands not just that he's holy but a mother who sees the value of fearing god those two things kind of go hand in hand if you see that he's holy you ought to have a healthy fear of who god is we strayed from that in our culture and in our churches so much so i think in january we're going to do a series in january called fear god for that very reason because of some of our approaches, like I said a moment ago, I'm afraid we've kind of turned God into more of our buddy than, than, than understanding His holiness and that He will be our judge one day. The, the word that's used for fear means to frighten, to be alarmed. And it also means to be in awe of. But what's happened in our Christian culture is that in this day and time, people have focused so much on the phrase of just to be in awe of. It's like you know people are only being taught, well, we ought just to be in awe of how great God is. We should. But you know what I see when I read the Bible? When people had a face-to-face encounter with God, they trembled many times. They fell on their face before God. Think about how much it can help Families to be encouraged to be worshiping families. If they have a mother that gives this type of song of praise. If they have a mother who recognizes that God's holy. If they have a mother who sees that there's value in having fear toward God. She said his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So right there in that statement, Mary is tying together the thought of mercy and fear. And she says his mercy is extended not to everybody who just thinks God's a good old boy. His mercy is extended to those who fear him. His compassion, his tender mercy is available. It's extended to those who fear him from generation to generation. That's what she's saying. 
How's that going to happen if we don't teach our children to have a healthy fear of God, that God is holy and you need to tremble before God sometimes? How are we going to pass it on from generation to generation? You see, guys, here's the deal with me in this, and it's bothered me a lot this week. I want my children, I want my grandchildren, I want my great-grandchildren, I want my descendants to experience the mercy of God. And in order for that to happen fully in their life, they're going to have to Fear God and understand who He is. Mary has given us huge examples that can help us be worshiping families as she recognizes all these things about God. She also gives us a picture of a mother who does not forget the powerful works of God. Because she kind of closes out this rant of praise in It's just sprung out of her heart because of all that God is doing in her life. And Mary says this, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. See, Mary, she gives this song of praise. She's not just talking about what God has done in her life. She's given the big picture. And she's saying, look what God has done. Look how great God is. Look how powerful God is. Look that God keeps his promises. You see, God had promised to Abraham that all the people of the world would be blessed through his seed and that his seed would be so great they couldn't even be numbered, you know, like the stars of the sky or the sand of the sea. That is ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That is how all mankind is blessed through the seed of Abraham, through Jesus coming. And now Mary celebrates that. And she said what he promised to Abraham is now going to take place. And she just celebrates in a big way how powerful God's works have been. And I would argue with you, if you and I would be more efficient and more effective in doing this before our kids as they're growing up, if we'd be celebrating before them how great God is and what God has done, not just for our lives, but for the world, if we would celebrate that more, we would encourage our kids to be worshiping families. We, we can help establish more of an environment in our homes to be worshiping families if we'd have mothers that would give forth a song of praise like we see taking place here from Mary. So our first character is a mother. We're talking about worshiping families. Our second character is a father. Not Mary's husband, but Elizabeth's husband. A guy by the name of Zechariah. And we're going to look at a father's worship of God and how his worship, how Zachariah's worship gives an example for worshiping families. How significant it is that this man gives forth praise and worship. Guys, I'm going to get down where we live a little bit. I think sometimes we think we're too macho for that or we can't, you know, let our guard down a little bit because we're supposed to be men. I'm telling you what, we're supposed to be men of God if we're Christians. And we should not be afraid to open our mouths and give praise to God. And we see that happening in this story when you look at, at what takes place in Zechariah's life. Look at these verses. <clears throat> Then they made signs to his father. See, John the Baptist has been born. I'll give you some background to this in in a moment. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. The reason he needed a writing tablet, he had failed to believe the message that Gabriel had given him. He had doubted God's words. And Gabriel said, because you have doubted, You're not going to be able to speak until the day that it's fulfilled. In other words, until the day that your son is born. So he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote down, to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. 
And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. And the neighbors, look how the neighbors are impacted by this. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. We've got a picture of a guy here, a story of a guy by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah, by the way, was part of a priestly family. Because we're also given the picture of him being back in the holy place. Going back to minister before the Lord. In other words, we have someone that was involved in ministry, someone that was a priest, doubting God. By the way, here's a side lesson. Don't ever put me or other, quote, priests on too much of a pedestal because we're as human as you are. <laughs> and we can get things in our lives that make us doubt God too. And, and that's what happens to Zechariah. So he's not allowed to talk because he disbelieves the word of God until John the Baptist is born and then all of a sudden he can speak And all the people that knew he had lost his voice and he could not speak, now they hear him speak. And what does he do? He opens his mouth and he praises God. The the image I want you to get from that, especially us as, as dads, as fathers, is how significant it is for our families also to hear us open our mouths and praise God. To praise God for what he has done in our lives. And that's what we have a picture of happening here. I want you to notice about four four simple things. First of all, I want you to notice this. Fathers need to believe rather than doubt, lest our voices be silenced. Here's the previous verses, the background of what I said a moment ago. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? See, here's the deal. He's an old man. His wife's old and not had any kids. And he's doubting. And some of them might say, well, sure. You want me to look at the situation? He old, she's old. How are they going to have kids? We see there's previous information that any God-loving you know, God Jew would have been really familiar with. And that was kind of like God did something similar to Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> so he had past history to have a reason to believe that God could do stuff like this. And yet he doubts. And he says, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So he's silent. He can't talk. God gave me, I think, maybe a practical lesson, guys, for us to take from that. As fathers, as Christian fathers, we better be practicing belief and faith before our children. Or one day, when we want them to hear, they might not hear. Our mouths might be silenced. We might lose the opportunity of influence. If they... If if all they do is see us come to church and sit in church and go home and put a Bible on a shelf and never, ever see us worship, never, ever see us lead in our homes in worship, never, ever see us have devotional times ourselves. If we're not careful, if we fail to practice faith and believe God in our own lives, there might come a time that our mouths are silenced, whether we want them to be or not, because we fail to practice faith before our families. I mean, to illustrate that, think about Lot for a minute. Lot gets a message, God's going to destroy the city. And Lot evidently had lost so much of his influence, he couldn't even get all of his family out. To listen to him, to believe him. 
Second thing I want you to notice from this story is, is, is this. Fathers need to have loose tongues when it comes to praise. We need to have free tongues. We need to loose our tongues up. As soon as Zechariah gets to the point that he can talk, and God performs that miracle in his life, and going along with the other miracle of his son being born in old age, John the Baptist, he opens his mouth with praise. It said immediately in verse 64, his mouth was open and his tongue was loose. And what did he do? First thing, he began to speak praising God. Word for praise means same same Greek word we get our English word eulogy from. It means to speak well of, to religiously bless or thank Zechariah had a reason to do that. His name means this. Jah, talking about God, has remembered. Zechariah had a reason to give praise to God. God had remembered him in his old age. And now he has a son, not just any son, but a son that's sent for a special purpose. To be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he opens up his mouth and he just starts to eulogize God. He starts to speak well of God. And my argument this morning is this. Our kids, listen man, our kids need to hear that from us as men. God help us that most of our churches would have died years ago if it had not been for the women. Helping to lead in the forefront of worship and praise and regrettably in Bible study in the homes with our children when God wants to see men lead in those roles. We'll loose our tongue for everything else. You ever have any trouble loosing your tongue when you're watching a ball game on TV and you disagree with the umpire or the referee? Or maybe not just on TV, you're at the sporting event. <laughs> You're at the high school game and you disagree with it and you're so loud, everyone in the whole place understands what you thought about it. And I had a pastor friend who used to be the worst in the world at that. He was a pastor. He was the worst in the world. He's honest. We'll loose our tongues up when somebody cuts us off in traffic. We'll loose our tongues up when we want to fuss at our kids. See, it's not an issue that men don't know how to open their mouth and say stuff. The issue is we need to be saying the right stuff. We need to be loosening our tongues and freeing our tongues up like Zachariah does here. We need to be praising God. Imagine how hugely important that can be to a family being a worshiping family if dad sets the example of opening his mouth and giving praise to God for what God has done for him and his family. Zechariah does. He just opens his mouth and he, and he gives praise. Fathers also need to do this. Need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and speak God's truth. Because you see that picture here in Zechariah. It said his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week when we talked about Mary also. And we looked at, and we looked at Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, a lot of people have different interpretations of that. Basically, it means this. You are allowing the Holy Spirit to control what you do. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he opens up his mouth and he prophesies. In other words, he is speaking the truth of God. And we need to be that as men in our families. We need to open our mouths and we need to speak the truth of God. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and us to speak spiritual things things to our families, spiritual things to our kids. We need to be the kind of dads that open our mouths up and speak the truth of God, speak God's word into their heart. You ever have your kids ask you why when you tell them to do something? You ever been an idiot like I've been before sometimes and say, because I told you so? You know what trumps because I told you so every time? Because God said so. That way they can argue with God about it. Amen? We need to be those kinds of dads that speak God's truth. Look at the next thing. Fathers also need to give praise to God because Jesus came 
as a redeemer. Look what Zechariah says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Will you notice that he's speaking past tense? Did you notice that? Past tense. Not happened yet. But Zechariah speaks as though it's already done. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah, as he gives forth his praise, he's given praise to God because Jesus is coming as the Redeemer. He's not there yet, but he's on the way. And he says, as though it has already taken place. And if Zechariah would give that type of praise to God because the Redeemer is coming, how much more should we do it on the other side of the Redeemer having come and shed his blood on the cross and took his life back up? Should not we as dads open our mouths and give praise to God because Jesus came to redeem us? He came to purchase. Look at some words here. Once again, kind of the word eulogy. Redeem means a ransom. And Jesus came and he ransomed. He paid for us with his shed blood. God raised up a horn of salvation. That whole phrase means to awaken, to rouse from sleep, lying down, or death. The word horn speaks of power. It's a symbol of power in the Bible. In other words, God, out of all the deadness and the sleeping of humanity, God, out of the midst of that, raises up through His Son in human flesh, the God-man, a symbol of power of salvation. God sends Jesus to be the horn of our salvation, and He rescues us as He comes. Sound like to me that's a good reason for even us as dads to open our mouths and give praise to God in a way that can help encourage our families to be worshiping families, to be willing to open our mouths and just give praise to God. We've seen two characters this morning. We've seen a mother. And that mother gives praise to God for all that God is doing in her life. How much would that encourage our families to be more worshiping families if mothers would give that type of example? We've seen a father, Zechariah, and we've seen his example of him giving worship to God. How much more would our families and our children be motivated toward worshiping God if we'd give that type of praise and that type of example? The last character, because we're talking about a worshiping family, is a child. A child. And we're going to get a picture of a child preparing the way for Christ and how that ought to give us a model to follow as worshiping families. A child preparing the way for Christ gives us a model to follow for worshiping families. Look what else Zachariah says. He's talking about his own child that's just been born. <laughs> it didn't hit me like this this week when I was reading it, but it just did then because I've, I've been there and I've watched three of my children born. Look what Zechariah says to his son about his son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him. To give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Imagine God giving someone the foresight to see that's their child's life. And to stand there and, and say it almost as a praise statement of God for what the child is going to do, for what the child will accomplish in his life. And as we look at this child, as we look at John the Baptist, we also need to learn this lesson about worship. Worship involves more than what we say with our mouths. Worship involves what we do with our lives. We can open our mouths and give praise like we've seen Mary give praise. We can open our mouths and give praise like we see Zechariah give praise. But when we come to this part of the family that we're talking about today, and we look at this child, John the Baptist, we're going to have a picture of this. Worshiping also involves serving God. Worship involves not just what we say, but how we let God use our lives. Because John the Baptist is considered the forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist is sent for a specific purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for his life. God's going to use him in a great way to lay the groundwork, to set the agenda, to prepare the stage for Jesus to be revealed. And I think there's some pretty good lessons for us to learn, not just to teach our children, but for us to learn ourselves that we need to be serving God like that. And that we need to be teaching our children to serve God like that. And I can already hear the excuses popping up in my eyes. Oh, yeah, but that's John the Baptist. Sure, God had a purpose for his life. I've got news for you. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and he wants to use your life. I've got news for you about your kids. God has a plan and a purpose for your children's lives, and he wants to use your children's lives to serve him in ways that we cannot maybe even imagine. First of all, they have to know Christ and then serve Christ. That ought to be a goal. You want a simple goal for your family? You want a simple agenda for your family? Be sure your children know Christ and then try and lead them to serve Christ. That's two goals. I don't know, you know, period, two goals. Know Christ and serve him, period. Two big goals. I don't think you need any more than that. You want to write a mission statement for your family that your children know Christ and serve Christ? Pretty good mission statement for a church. And that's what we see take place in the life of John the Baptist. Let's think about what John the Baptist does here. First of all, we can see a picture of this child preparing the way for Christ by telling others God's message. You see what Zechariah said, and you, my child, talking to John the Baptist as a baby, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. A prophet means a foreteller. You're telling somebody something. The Most High is just a description of God. He's the supreme God. He's the Most High. He's as high as you can go on the ladder. If you want your child to be a spokesperson for somebody, who better than God? I mean, if if we want to be spokespeople for somebody, who better than God? Not just our children, but we, and if we don't do it, our children won't pick up on it. We better have the goal in our families that we want to serve God. For us to be children and to try and lead our children to be the kind of children that follow God, that do a ministry similar to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ's coming by telling others the message of God. He went forth telling people to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. One day he's standing there and he sees Jesus coming by and he points out to some of his disciples. There he is. There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
I mean, there's the culmination of all the animal sacrifices and everything that had been taught in the sacrificial system going all the way back into the Garden of Eden when God killed the animals to show that it required death and a sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind. Now John the Baptist is standing there and he points and he says, there he is. That's the Son of God. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, guys, Jesus communicated that. that that's, our, that's our task still. That's our goal as children of God, to tell others God's message. It needs to be the goal that we teach our children and prepare our children to, to where they can tell people the message of God, to where they can share the gospel with someone. We'll teach them how to hit a baseball or how to cheer a cheer or how to shoot a basketball or how to do play a piano or whatever it might be. We'll put them in lessons. Why not teach our children how to serve God and how to tell others about God? Because that's what John the Baptist does here. He goes and he comes and he's, he's telling others about him. Also, we can see this child doing this, preparing the way of Christ by making needed preparations. Zechariah says, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. That's why John the Baptist was born. That's why he was sent, to prepare the way for him, to prepare the way for Christ. He said, you're going to go on before. That phrase in the Greek literally means to proceed as a guide or a herald. You're going before to make ready, to provide what is needed, to prepare. It comes from a root word that means to adjust or make ready. John the Baptist came to go before as a guide or a herald, to prepare the way for Jesus coming, to adjust and make things ready, to prepare the way, the road, the progress, the route, the mode, the means that Jesus is going to be on the world scene. John the Baptist is the one that's there to lay the groundwork for that. See, they use forerunners in other parts of Eastern culture in the Middle East also. A forerunner when a king or dignitary was planning to make a trip to a city or to another country. They would send someone ahead of him as the forerunner. And the forerunner would go ahead and make the arrangements, make the arrangements for a place for that dignitary to stay when he arrived. The forerunner would even go and inspect the road and plan the route that the king would travel. And be sure that it was a road that would be easy for them to travel, not a road with a lot of ruts and holes and and a hard way to go. The forerunner would go in advance and plot out the pathway, the way, and then go make the arrangements. And then previous to that king or that dignitary arriving, the forerunner would serve as a herald or a crier, and he would go into the city before the king arrives or the dignitary arrives and cry out to the city and announce to everyone that the person's on the way. See, that's what John the Baptist did for Jesus. He went in advance to announce and proclaim, Jesus is coming. There's one coming that I'm not even worthy to bend over and unlatch his sandal. There's one coming that will need to increase and I need to decrease. There's one coming that's a lot greater than me. I'm not the one he is. And he proclaimed it to the world of that day. And you might be thinking, how does that apply to us? We still have the same job. In a different fashion, but in a similar fashion, you and I need to pave the way into the hearts of other people for Jesus to be received there. We need through our lives and by what we proclaim and by what we say, pave the way. Go as forerunners. You need to be a forerunner. We need to teach our children and raise them to be forerunners that they are going before Christ to make it as easy as possible for Christ to get into the heart of your friends and your family members. I told you the forerunner would go and they they would even sometimes have the road repaired and fill in 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 ruts and stuff to make it easier for the king that's being carried into that city. Guys, I want you to get a picture of that because some of the people that we love that don't know Jesus, 
You want to know why they're having a difficult time receiving Jesus? They've got some holes in their heart, some ruts in their life. And you and I need to identify those. And as God helps us, say, let me fill that up for you a little bit. Let, let me make this road a little bit smoother. We need to minister to people like that in a way that makes it easier for Jesus to get into their heart. You and I need to serve as forerunners of Christ. We need to raise our children up that they would be willing to serve as forerunners of Christ to go before Him and serve Him. How do you do that? Well, John, or Zechariah tells us, as he talks about John, how do we pave a way into the hearts of people? Number one, in verse 77, the first part of verse 77, we need to give people the knowledge or understanding of salvation. He says that's what John the Baptist is going to do. He's going to give his people the knowledge of salvation. We need to do that. We need to give people the knowledge of salvation, guys. That's just basic. That's central to what we ought to be as Christians, what we do as Christians. Let people know there is such a thing as salvation. Let people know they can experience salvation. We need to help people understand their sins can be forgiven. Second part of verse 77, Zechariah says this, through the forgiveness of their sins. The word forgiveness means freedom or pardon. The word sin means to miss the mark. Guess what? All of us miss the mark. Our friends miss the mark. Our family members miss the mark. Everyone in this world has missed the mark. So we've got a wide open marketplace to share Jesus with them and to help them understand salvation is available, but also help them understand their, their, their sins can be forgiven all the times they miss the mark. That can be wiped clean through the shed blood of Jesus. We also need to point others to the tender mercy of God. You can help pave a way into the hearts of other people if you will help to point them to the tender mercy of God. He said in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. The word tender mercy is not necessarily a, a word that we would like to talk about in our culture. The spleen, intestine, bowels. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone about your spleen, your intestines, your bowels? But the biblical way of looking at it in the Eastern culture, the way they looked at it, is though that's the seat of the emotions, or that's where compassion comes from. We need to point people to the fact there is a compassionate God who loves them. That's part of the ministry of John the Baptist, and that's part of what we need to do as the children of God, and we need to raise our children to do as the children of God. And lastly, we need to do this. We need to shine the light of Jesus in their dark world because as you read the rest of verse 78 on through verse 79, the Bible says, by which the rising sun, that, that phrase rising sun speaks of Jesus. It's a type of Jesus, a picture of Jesus. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in to the path of peace. Like I said, that phrase, rising sun, some translations say day star. That's talking about Jesus. He's the rising light. It even talks about rising from the east. How Jesus one day will split the eastern sky when he comes back. Jesus comes as the day star. Why? To shine, to become visible, to give light in the darkness, in the shadiness or the obscurity of this world. In order that people might be guided, they can be straightened out fully to have their path directed in the right way, to take the right journey that God wants them to take. Jesus came to be the light to shine on the truth that you and I can have peace with God. We once were separated because of our sins, but now we can be brought back together with God and be made at one with God, at peace with God again. John the Baptist came to shine that light and tell them the light's on the way. You and I still have that type of ministry. You might be asking yourself and banging your head against a wall, what can I get somebody for Christmas? Can I suggest to you one thing you get them before maybe anything else? Why not try and get Jesus into their life? We live in a dark world. It was a dark world in that day and time. 
400 years it took place between Malachi and the New Testament without any word from God, without any prophet on the scene. A dark culture, a dark society, a dark world. And into that darkness, God sends His Son to be the ultimate light. And John the Baptist is the forerunner of that light to tell people the light's on the way. Guys, we still need to have that same ministry to teach people that there's light available. Have you ever noticed how much Christmas lights when you first put them out, you know, first decorate your tree, your house, whatever, you know, they put them out on the street. Have you ever noticed kind of how much that changes the atmosphere a little bit? I mean, even in our culture to a certain degree. Doesn't it change the way you feel? I, I got some pictures that I that I loaded uh, up. It's a, a picture of a Christmas tree that we uh, uh, have at, at home. Uh, you might think, man, that one looks awful perfect, the shape of it. Well, we didn't buy one that year. That's the one we had in a box, and we just decided to pull it out of the box. <laughs> and I put the lights on it, and since it was a little bit smaller tree than what we normally would get if we bought one. We put all the lights on it. We'd normally put on a big tree, and Becky likes a lot of lights, and I hung lights on that thing for an hour just to get the lights on it. And then I, I stood back after I got all the lights on, even before I turned the deck, you know, put the rest of the decoration on, and I stepped back and I turned all the lights out in the house because I just wanted to see the light of the Christmas tree, and, and it just kind of had this special feeling, you know? Kind of puts a special atmosphere in the home. That's just close-up of some decoration. That's the next couple I like uh, a lot better. Right there is our Christmas family for us. And the next one, the angel heralding the fact that Jesus comes. Do you, do you realize Christmas lights can even change the way a place like Granite Falls looks? I mean, that's, that's one of the neatest little squares I've ever seen anywhere at Christmas time when they light those trees up. I mean, it changes completely the way downtown Granite Falls looks. But can I tell you something? The light that is Jesus Christ changes the atmosphere a whole lot more. Changes our culture a whole lot more. Changes our homes a whole lot more. Changes our hearts. Changes lives a whole lot more. And because of that change, we need to be families that worship God together. We need to have mothers that set the example like Mary and give praise to God because of what God's doing in your life. We need to have fathers that give praise like Zechariah to where other people hear it. You give praise to how great God is. We need to be children and we need to raise children that will be like John the Baptist who understand worshiping God is about more than coming to church on Sunday. Worshiping God is a lifestyle. Worshiping God is about serving God with your life. John the Baptist did it until it cost him his life. We need to have worshiping families. Let's pray. Father, Lord, even the terminology that we use as we talk about you and talk about your son is, is family language. Because we call you our father. and You sent your son into this world to die for our sins on a cross that through him we might have everlasting life. Lord, I want to thank you that there's so many practical pictures that we can learn, lessons we can learn from the Christmas story, the Christmas family. God, I pray today 
Lord, this week of Christmas. God, I pray that you would burden our hearts as Christian moms and Christian dads and Christian children. That you would burden us to be worshiping families. That we would not get away from the awe of it all. That we would be so moved and so thankful for what you do in our lives. That we open our mouths and we give praise to you. And not just praise with our lips, but praise with our lives. As we strive to be a forerunner for you into the hearts of others in this world. Father, I pray this week that you help all of us here to shine that light, that day star that rising sun that is Jesus. Help us to shine it in the dark world in which we live. Father, if there's someone here today that has never said yes to Jesus, I pray right now you help them to receive the most amazing Christmas gift they could ever receive by admitting to you right now they've sinned. They've missed the mark. They can't save themselves. And by trusting completely and totally and only in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. God, speak to us as families this morning. Help us, God, as families to have the goal of worshiping you with our lips and with our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So the band does a song for us we call it invitation time if you do not know Christ as your savior I want to encourage you because right now God has the greatest gift of all and he's extending it with open arms he's got this wonderful gift called salvation and he's wanting to hand it right into your heart if you'll take it and if you've never said yes to Jesus why not come as the band plays and I'll If you don't understand what all that's about, we'll have someone to spend some time with you. Even after the service is over with, we give you some information to read and things like that to help you understand what it means to receive Christ as Savior. And I guess the main invitation this morning since we've talked about worshiping families is to families. And I want you to evaluate right now. Are are you a worshiping family? Maybe, Maybe that's your next step. This Christmas season, your next step toward God as a family is is that you become more of a worshiping family. And just maybe as the band plays, you want to slip out and come and kneel, you know, husband and wife or parent and child or maybe the whole family's here. Come and kneel and say, God, help us to be better worshiping families than we are. God speak to your heart. Please come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.